Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast of the Sunday morning sermons of the Bullard Church of Christ in Bullard, Texas. We hope you'll be blessed, challenged, and encouraged by today's lesson. Good morning. It's so wonderful to be together and worship this morning and fellowship, study God's Word. It's always nice to be together. You know, sometimes our bodies don't feel like getting up and going to worship but we always are blessed when we do so. We're always blessed by God when we do so. And so we're so very thankful for you being here, your presence this morning, our members who are faithful and dedicated and serve here at this congregation. And we're so thankful for those who are visiting. You're special to us. You're important. You are an honored guest. And we want you to know you're always welcome here. You're welcome to any of our activities and studies and worship times that we have and including our children's and youth activities. And uh, we hope that you are blessed by your time with us this morning. When you think about uh, your identity as a person, if someone asks you, who are you? Tell me about yourself. You would typically think of things like your name, your family, you know, your last name, where you're from, where you grew up. Uh, stories about your family. You'd think about your personality, your interests, uh, your hobbies, experiences in life, and you'd think about what you do, what you do for a living, or where you go to school, or what you want to be when you uh, get out into into your career. Those are the kinds of things we think about when we think about our identity. But uh, for the Christian, it's similar to that, and those are still a part of your identity. But in a similar way, there are different characteristics that make up your Christian identity, who you are in Christ, if you are a New Testament Christian. And that's what we're studying in this series. We're studying, who am I as a Christian? What's my identity? And we're looking at multiple uh, characteristics or factors that go into qualities of our identity. And, you know, the task of adolescence, the goal of adolescence is to develop a sense of identity, a self-image, a coherent sense of self. You're not supposed to have, uh, you know, one personality over here and, and this is you and this describes you and then and, and you're this person over here on social media and in different ways. And then over here, you're, you're, you're Christian. You're, uh, this is your religious life. Uh, take a look at this image, image, I think, yeah, it's on the next slide. You know, you're not supposed to have these, this split personality kind of thing where, where when I'm at school, when I'm on social media, when I'm playing video games, when I'm with my friends, when I'm at work, when I'm hanging out, when I'm doing, that, this is who I am. And then when I'm, when I'm a Christian doing Christian things, then this is who I am. That's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to have a coherent, unified sense of self, identity, to be one person. And that's what we want to do. And when, when you become a Christian, though, you've got to discover, well, what does that mean for me? And, and who am I now that I am a new creation in Christ? And I hope that this series helps you uh, develop that coherent sense of self, not only with who you are just as a person, your personal qualities, but also in who you are as a Christian and that those meld together. And so in this series, we've so far looked at who you are in Christ, your Christian identity as a new creation in Christ. And then last week we looked at you are God's child 
when you're in Christ. A Christian is a new creation, and a Christian is a child of God. And today we're going to look at a Christian is a priest of God. You are His priest. Now turn with me to 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. In fact, you'll hear several qualities or characteristics of a Christian here. We'll touch on them, but we're focusing on mostly one uh, particular point here. Peter writes, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Peter says a lot about our identity as a Christian in this one verse. Let's zoom out a little bit here to make sure we get some context real quick leading up to this verse and look at verse number 1 of chapter 1. Peter tells us who he's writing to. He's writing to the scattered and persecuted church of his day. Nero, the evil Nero was emperor at this time. And Christians were, just when things flared up, Christians were subject to persecution at any moment. And so they knew what persecution was like. And these were mostly Gentile Christians, some Jewish Christians, but of different ethnicities. And they had been persecuted and scattered because of their faith in Jesus, because of their identity, because of who they worship. And so Peter is writing to them in the area of Asia Minor for them to receive this letter. And he wants to encourage them to remain faithful even though you're persecuted for your faith. And he reminds them, as we're going to see, he reminds them of who they are. There's such a reminder of our identity in 1 Peter as well as a call to action. Look at verses 3 and 4 of 1 Peter 1. Peter reminds them of their blessing and their identity as children of God that they have been, Peter writes, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We talked about that in class this morning. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You're, you're new and you've got this new hope and new home and new identity and your, your salvation is kept in heaven waiting for you. For that day. And then Peter in verses 13 through 16 gives them this call to action. He says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action and be sober minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't set your hope on things in this world always working out for you. Don't set your hope on the fact that on, on not ever being persecuted, on never having any struggles. There's no hope in the things of this world. Set your hope on the things that are above. And, and verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, Peter says, you also be holy in all your conduct. 
Remember that word holy, that Peter's already introduced that into this letter to these Christians. He says, you be holy in all of your conduct since it is written, and he quotes from the Old Testament, uh, God's commands, you shall be holy for I am holy. Then in verse 23 of 1 Peter 1, he reminds them again of their identity. And he says, since you've been born again, we've heard that already, he repeats it. You've been born again. You, that goes back to John 3, 3 and 5, where he talks, Jesus taught Nicodemus about baptism, being born of water and the Spirit. And, and you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. There's something imperishable beyond this perishable life and world through the living and abiding Word of God. What does that tell us? That tells us we learn about God. We learn about His Son and His salvation through His Word. Not through someone's opinion. Not through what uh, everyone says is true. What someone thinks is true. What you wish was true. But through what His Word says is true. And then in chapter 2, verses uh, 1 and 3, we see another call to action on our way to verse, uh, verse 9. And Peter writes, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. He said, don't live like that anymore. Don't do those things anymore. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that you by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Like a newborn baby craves that milk, we're supposed to crave the pure spiritual milk of the Word. It doesn't matter how old you get. The Bible should never be old to you. It should never be boring. It should always just leave you in awe and fascinated with the, the, the Word of God, His inspired Word that He's given us. And he says we need to crave it. Maybe that's one of the challenges and one of the problems we have in our spiritual life when things aren't going right. Ask yourself, what are you craving? What are your cravings? Are you craving the spiritual milk of the Word? Because maybe you've got your cravings out of line. Then we get to verses 4 and 5 of chapter 2 where Peter says something very important. He's already introduced the idea of holy, and he's getting us closer to verse 9. He, meant, he introduces something very important about our identity as a Christian. He says, as, at verse 4, As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood. He's already said holy, and now he introduces priesthood. And those who were especially Jewish Christians, they understood priesthood going back to the Old Covenant, what we call the Old Testament in the Law of Moses. You've been built up into, being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to do what? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's a powerful, powerful uh, things that he says here. So first he calls Jesus 
a living stone. Not the old earthly stone that the old temple was made of. The, uh, a rock, something from the earth. Not that kind of stone. He said, Jesus is the living stone because Jesus is the centerpiece. He is it of the, the new house of God, this spiritual house. And He is what everything is built on. And then He calls Christians... You are like living stones. And, and, and Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He's the living stone. You're living stones too. You're being built up into His spiritual house. Not the tabernacle where you used to worship. Not the temple where God uh, used to dwell. But a new dwelling place of God. And that is among God's people now, which are the Lord's church. And now notice what Peter said we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be a holy priesthood. See, he's in, introduced this part of our identity to us. And he's saying that we are God's priests. We're God's priests. And, and that's, a, that's a, a, a fascinating thing to think about. That's a, that we, we don't really comprehend that. We don't really understand what a priest is. He was referring to the priests of the Old Testament times, the Old Covenant times. And in the Old Testament, uh, uh, it was the family of Aaron who was the first priest and the tribe of Levi. And they were the ones who were the priests in the tabernacle. And they had to be uh, um, among Aaron and the Levites from a descendant of his in order to be a priest in the tabernacle, in order to serve in the temple. And Peter is saying that God's holy priesthood, here's what they do. They offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. See, he's saying it's not like the old priesthood where you, you would take uh, uh, your sacrifice, your animal that you bought, that you raised, the perfect, the best among what you had, and you would take it to the tabernacle. You didn't have direct access to God. And you would give it to the priest, and he would sacrifice your offering uh, for you to God because He's the one that had access. And Peter's saying, it ain't like that anymore. Now you are a priest in the household of God if you are a Christian. See, now Christians are God's priesthood. It's not the Levites. Now Christians are God's dwelling place, not the temple. Now Christians offer sacrifices, not the Old Testament priest. And now Christians offer uh, spiritual sacrifices to God, not animal sacrifices to God. There's a big difference here, but it's important to see how one progressed into the other. How who we are now came out of who God's people used to be. Now look at verses 6 and 8 of 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter quotes some Old Testament passages here and he understands, he is understanding, he is writing with the comprehension that the Lord's people then and the Lord's people today are who 
God's people are now, and it's no longer the people of Israel, that, that now God's people are the Lord's church. Peter writes with that understanding. He's conveying that message. Christians have come to know the living stone, and they are living stones themselves. And they are not uh, uh, built, building a temple made of stone, but a temple made of themselves as Christians added to the Lord's church. But then he says that not everybody believed. Not everybody believed that. And then look at verse 9. That's how we get to verse 9. But not you. That's where we are. Peter says, but not you. There was, there was people that rejected Jesus. There was people that despised Jesus. There was people that, that hated Jesus. They crucified Him. They didn't believe what the Scriptures said about Him. They wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And then He comes back around to them in verse 9, and He says, but not you. And then He tells them, you didn't stumble over Jesus. You didn't reject Him. And then He says more about their identity when He says this. You, you're different. You're altogether different than those who rejected Jesus. And this is who you are. Let me tell you who you are. If you ever want to know, well, who am I as a Christian? What's my identity? Paul's telling, uh, Peter's telling you right here. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for his own possession. Do you notice that all of these... Or plural. See, he's not saying you're some priest where you can, you can go to school in the morning and you can walk around like a priest and everybody has to treat you differently. You can walk into Brookshire's and everybody should part ways and let you through and let you in front. He's not saying you individually are so magnificent and royal. That's not what he's saying. You're not of English royalty or something. He's saying, the church, you're God's royal priesthood. And you're only royal because the king is royal. You share in his royalty, in his blessings, because you're in his kingdom. You're in his spiritual house. Peter goes back to the Old Testament again. And in Exodus 19, 5 through 6, is where we find this originally spoken. And it's when God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. And he says to them, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, and he's telling Moses, you go tell the people this, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What is God telling the Israelites? He's saying, this is who I want you to be among all nations. And you'll be that as long as you keep my word. As long as you stay faithful to me. He wasn't saying this about any other nation, but he wanted his people, the Israelites, to be a blessing to all nations. That was one of God's covenants to Abram in Genesis 12.3. You, you, you will be a blessing. You're, you know, your people will be a blessing among all nations. And so Israel was supposed to be the priesthood, the servants of God, sharing His love, the knowledge of Him, His Word to all other nations. That's what God wanted for the people of Israel. The Israelites themselves were called to be a kingdom of priests 
and a holy nation. And then Peter takes that promise from the Old Testament. We see how that worked out historically. But God's ultimate plan wasn't even that, but to lead us to, to point us to His church uh, in Christ. And, and Peter takes that passage all the way back from Exodus that God said to the Israelites, and He says, this applies to the church today because you're God's people today. And this is who you're supposed to be among all other nations. Can you hear Jesus say, but let your light shine among men that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what Peter is saying. And so we have to ask the question, for what reason does God call us a a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own possession. Why does He do this? Well, at the end of verse 9, He tells us. Look there at the end of verse 9. So that, so we can show others the goodness of God. So we can proclaim His excellencies. So we can declare the glorious deeds of God. So we can uh, uh, magnify Him who called us out of darkness and into His wonderful light. So why, why did He assemble you as His people? Why does He name you His child and, uh, when you are a new creation? And He says you're a chosen race and a royal priesthood and a holy nation and His own possession. Why? So you can declare His wonderful works. You can show and tell others about Him because you're supposed to be my priest, serving and worshiping me and serving others in this world so that you can point them to me. You see, the priests who served in the t- tabernacle had two main, pri- main uh, jobs, main priorities. First of all, they had access to God. This was one of their roles, one of their uh, privileges. They had direct access to God through the curtain that no one else could go through. And they had rules they had to follow to get through the curtain. And it was only on certain times and certain ways. And then they offered sacrifices to God. That's what the priests did. They did two main things. They had access to God and, the re- and no one else did. And they offered sacrifices on our behalf to God. Today, as we've said, Christians are God's royal priesthood. See, we no longer access God through a priest. That's not the way it works in New Testament Christianity. Now, the the curtain has been torn, you remember, we saw in Mark. It was torn in two. The temple is no more. Why? Because in Christ, all have access directly to the Heavenly Father. And so now we go straight to God. You can go to God yourself. You don't have to go through somebody else. When you're a Christian, you have direct access to God. And then you bring your own sacrifice directly to God. You don't go through somebody else to make your spiritual sacrifice. You bring your own. Well, what what are these spiritual sacrifices that I'm supposed to offer if I'm a priest of God? What, What am I supposed to do? Well, we see in Scripture... Uh, at least three areas where we're supposed to offer spiritual sacrifices. And the first is with our bodies. In Romans 12, 1, Paul wrote, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies, present your bodies as the priest presenting himself to God, present your bodies as a what? Living sacrifice. Holy, there's that word again, and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. See, the priests in the Old Testament offered what? Dead animals, dead sacrifices. We don't do that anymore. Now the Christian offers not something else, themselves as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? As you live through life, you are sacrificing yourself to God. You're presenting yourself to God saying, here I am. I serve you. I'm the sacrifice for you. And that's why you make different decisions in your life. That's why you don't do what everybody else does. That's why you say no to some things. That's why you don't always follow the crowd. That's why you make the choices you make because you're offering yourself, you're presenting yourself to God as a living sacrifice. And we hardly understand the word sacrifice in America today, do we? And that's exactly what we're supposed to do. It doesn't mean you can't have fun, can't have things, can't do... That's not what he's saying. But I sacrifice myself to live holy and acceptable before him. Why? Because of who he is, what he's done for me. Next, we see in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, before I get there, Paul says, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's what a living sacrifice is. Whatever I do... So, so you think about, I want to go do this. I feel like doing this. This is what I'd love to go do this. Ask yourself, is it going to bring glory to God? And then in whatever you do, you say, well, I just go to work. That's all I do is go to work and go home. I just do chores. I just do all these kinds. Of, I mean, look at my life. What, how am I? And God says, whatever you do. Do it all to the glory of God. So tomorrow you walk into that workplace and open the door and you say, I'm here to do what I do at work for the glory of God. I go into school for the glory of God. Wow, how would that change our lives? Now next, let's look at, I gave you a false alarm earlier. (laughs) Look at the next one. Here's the other spiritual sacrifice that we give. We give our praise to God. The Hebrew author wrote in Hebrews 13:16, "Do not neg- uh, through him and then let us continually offer up a what? sacrifice of praise. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. What have we been doing this morning as a part of our worship? We've been singing with the fruit of our lips only. And we've been offering up a sacrifice of praise to God. That's what you're doing when you're singing. So, so when I come to church and I'm, I'm not singing and I'm not engaged in the worship or I'm at Youth Devo or I'm at somewhere and I'm not engaged in singing, then I'm sitting there saying, I ain't giving you nothing, God. I don't have a sacrifice for you. I'm coming without a sacrifice because the Hebrew author said, that's, we're supposed to do this continually. Well, we can't just sing all the time. I think on the job, your, your coworkers might get tired of you singing. And for some of us, real quick, tired of us singing uh, all the time. So there's other ways we can offer God a sacrifice of praise with what? The fruit of our lips. 
How so? In the way that we talk to others, the way that we talk to our friends, the way that we talk to other people uh, that we don't know, the people that are around us, people we don't like. In every way that we use words, we can offer a sacrifice of praise with the fruit of our lips. Uh, Ephesians 5, 19 and 20, Paul talks about when it comes to singing, he says, sing and make melody in your hearts to God, giving thanks. Now, the third way is we offer good works. We offer good works. Look at Hebrews 13, 16, the very next verse. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The author here says, when I do good and I share what I have, these good works are a sacrifice to God. See, some people just want everything for themselves and they don't want to share. And and God is saying, the Bible is saying, when I do good works, when I serve, when I help, when I encourage, when I go see that person, when I call that person, when I check on that person, when when I go meet somebody new, when I encourage a person and do a good deed for somebody, I'm offering a sacrifice to God through my good works. Now, another thing that we see is Paul in... Philippians 4.18, he says, he associates this sacrifice of good works also with our financial giving. Because he wrote that their offering was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So that's part of the life of a Christian is I'm giving a sacrifice towards the work of God and that is pleasing to God. So when I look around and I'm just looking for, oh, man, I think I've got, uh, let's see, I think I've got 42 cents here. That, that's not, when they offered sacrifices in the Old Testament, it took some effort to get the best goat, the best sheep, whatever it might have been. It took effort. They, were, they thought about it. We need to think about when we give, whether it be financially or in any way, in service to the Lord. A sacrifice means we've thought about it, and it matters to us. We feel it. We're we're engaged. Sometimes it's easy to just do this, and it's not even a sacrifice. What can we do that's a sacrifice when it comes to our giving in every way, in the way that we give and serve and do good deeds for others? Let me close. The reason that priests today, the Lord's church today, want to offer these spiritual sacrifices to Him is because He saved us out of that darkness and brought us into His marvelous light. And it's because of that we say, my life is yours. That's why Paul said for me to live, it just is Christ. That's what He means. And I want to ask you a question. If you are a Christian... Are you offering God these sacrifices? Are you living as a living sacrifice to God? Praising Him with the fruit of your lips? Are you giving Him the sacrifice of good works and giving in multiple ways? And if you're not a Christian, according to what we read in the New Testament, 
Why won't you give your life to Christ today? Why won't you at least start considering it? At least say, I need to be open to that. I need to be start. I need to study. I need to pray with somebody. I need, to, I need to take a step forward in that direction. If you're not a Christian today, we want you to be a child of God, a new creation, and among his royal priesthood and holy nation and chosen race and among his people who are his possessions. We want you to know that life in Christ. If we can help you this morning, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing. We thank you again for listening today. If we can answer any questions for you or serve you in some way, please reach out to us. You can find our contact information and more on our website at bullardchurchofchrist.com. If this lesson has helped you, please rate our podcast and share it so more people can hear the Word of God. And please come visit as soon as you can. We meet on Sundays for class at 9 a.m., worship at 10 a.m., evening worship at 5, and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. God bless you.